Hello everyone and welcome to the Velvet Voice Podcast, a storytelling podcast where I share the stories I have cultivated throughout my lifetime and authors I have developed an appreciation for. I'm your host, Tyson, and today I'd like to talk a bit about perspective and how the way we see the world is quite possibly the most important aspect of a story. I'm reminded of a saying that tends to pop up in the back of my mind whenever I'm in a confrontational situation. There are three sides to every story, it says. My side, your side, and the truth. The truth here being an an immutable point that neither one of us, the aggrieved, can agree upon. Maybe your mother-in-law blames you for not being there for your pregnant wife during the most heartbreaking moment of her life, in the moment where her premature labor bears no live fruit. You consider whether or not it is your fault the baby died, but after coming to terms with it, your mother-in-law remains convinced you should bear some blame, and perhaps you should. Oh, that got dark pretty quickly, didn't it? I apologize. But I think that brief snapshot from Jhumpa Lahiri's short story, A Temporary Matter, aptly demonstrates how perspective can amplify the drama of a story, making it all the more memorable. I do not think I can do the nuance of the language of pain, justice, in such a short time span, so I will encourage you all to pick up the anthology novel Interpreter of Maladies in order to get a better understanding of Lahiri's genius. I think it bears stating that emotions shape the way we see the world. Our perspectives can be completely informed by how we feel, no matter how trivial it may seem to those outside the confines of our mind. My next story speaks to how a temporary matter may leave one feeling stuck in an eternal moment, grounded by a single inescapable emotion. Additionally, emotions shape perspective, how we see the world, or from what angle we are able to see it. The Watcher, a story by Tyson Shepard. The first thing I do when I come home is take off my shoes. I then head into the bathroom, wash my hands, and shed the rest of my clothes. An assortment of bland-colored sweats, neon pink underwear, a cover band t-shirt, and an appropriately sized jacket. The ritual ends when I look over my shoulder, Back into the mirror, observe the crackle of brown lightning across my love handles, trace it with my fingertips, and remember, it is not my fault. Then the lights go out. There is nothing more important to do most days, so I open the refrigerator, decide on what to cook for dinner, and commit to watching a movie. Today, dinner is a variation of spaghetti bolognese, red onion, garlic, 
roasted tomatoes, zucchini, more mushrooms than necessary, and lots and lots of Parmesan dusted on the surface of my plate. I guess I forgot, or rather much too lazy, to actually make the pasta to go along with everything else. I take my plate, sit on the bed, my flesh laid bare, the warmth of my plate resting on my thigh, and I flip through the channels. I find a horror movie I remember being excited about after seeing a few previews many months before. This is the one. When it starts, there's a little boy riding his tricycle through the long hallway dusted with classic velvet carpet in what appears to be a vintage hotel as ominous music plays in the background. He stops in front of one of the many room doors lining the horizon, and then it happens. One of the closed doors behind him creaks open, revealing a sliver of a void. The boy's eyes creak open, too, and now they are stuck. The camera zooms in, back into the sliver of the void peering behind the cracked door, revealing the faint glint of another pair of eyes. My heart begins to rattle. I swallow hard and take up my fork, now focusing back on the almost spaghetti bolognese. I take a bite as the music from the movie starts to lull. I assume the horror of the scene is over now, so I glance back at the television screen. Sure enough, the boy in the eyes of the void are in the past. Now, the scenery is a bright, sunny beach somewhere in a distant corner of the world where the ocean waves make stereotypical music and seagulls croon across the daytime sky. Before I know it, I have finished my meal and things have progressed to a point where a little girl is being stalked by a group of inhuman people who have traded in their humanity for an extended shadow life. I get up, place my plate on the kitchen stove, and then shuffle back to bed. I pull the covers up over my legs as I settle my back against the pillows. But before I can completely settle into my station, a shadow shoots across the corner of my eye. I adjust my gaze towards the floor-to-ceiling glass door that serves as my window and notice the blinds aren't completely closed. There are several scenes between the blinds, which makes the building next door to my high-rise visible. I see a large window on the other side, yellow light illuminating the border of long, cascading drapes. The border becomes fickle as a portion of the curtain slides back. A shadow peeks out at me from behind the comfort of the drapes. I am curious for a moment. Who could be fiddling with the curtains at this time of night? Could they possibly have something to hide? I hear the little girl scream and my attention is pulled back to the television screen. She is being chased through a shadowy garden maze laced with endless rows of serious brown coffins. I notice the shadow dancing on my peripheral stage again as the little girl is grabbed by her throat and hoisted off the ground by a soul-sucking witch in a dated red hat. A quick glance back, and I notice another window open a couple of floors below the peeking silhouette. Same dingy light, same flowing drapes, but for some reason, the image of the room's patron is so much more clearer than the shadow above.
I can see a plump man in casual business attire setting up his laptop at the study near the window. Dull blue button-up, rolled-up sleeves, loose top button, and ice cream scoop hair. I can even see his computer screen now, which signals that he is in a Zoom call with what appears to be two women. The stark screech of the movie violin tells me that the film isn't quite over yet. Now, back into the movie, the girl has somehow escaped the red-hatted witch, but the villain is close on her trail. They have left the confusion of the snow-covered maze and are now playing cat and mouse in the corridors of the old hotel I remember from the beginning of the film. I look up again and find the shadow no longer teasing behind the veil of drapes, but standing there in the center of the frame of the now completely open window. My heart begins to rattle as more ominous music plays in the background. Help! I hear the little girl say, and I realize that if I have noticed the silhouette staring out the window, surely it has seen me too, all of me. I pull the covers up higher, covering the last vestiges of skin I left to cool in the openness of my room. Welcome to Fright Night. For real. I pretend to still be involved in the movie, but my peripheral gaze is fixed on the now sinister shadow stuck in the building window on the other side of the courtyard. I long for the game of peekaboo the shadow was playing behind the wall of drapes, which it has left completely abandoned on the left side of the window. My legs feel trapped under the weight of abject terror, and it is as hot as a sauna under the covers I am using to shield me. I wonder how quickly I can get up, shut the blinds completely, and return to bed. There is a loud explosion on the television, drawing my attention back to the screen. It is only a moment where I realize the vintage hotel has gone up in flames, but then I give the window specter my full attention. This time, the darkness of the shadow has overtaken the entire window. The light has gone out. I am forced to recall the adventures of a one Charlie Brewster who, after seeing his neighbor, a man with fangs, do the impossible, devour a young woman in the arc of his window, couldn't seem to leave well enough alone. I am unsure if what I have witnessed qualifies as the fantastical, but it sure as hell is creepy. So I shake off the anchors of the sweltering blanket, slip to the opposite side of the blinds, and close them for good. That was The Watcher, a story which, if I'm being honest, still haunts me some nights. And it's funny because... I think the worst part of the recounting of this experience is the not knowing. I like to think that the shadowy figure wasn't looking at me at all. Um, Perhaps I made it all up in my head. That would be far better than the resurgence of fear I feel as I lie in bed, staring at the sinister silhouette of unfolded clothes I allowed to take up space on my office chair. It's interesting because it leads us back to 
the understanding, that perspective, regardless of how it's guided, can always create drama. And drama is what makes a good story. Maybe what to me was a shadowy figure was simply a man who was amazed that there was someone brave enough to sit partially naked in front of a narrowly open window as he enjoyed his dinner and watched a movie. And just like that, the perspective and theater and drama of the situation can, can become one of abstract comedy or even one of great introspection. So today I ask you, has there ever been a situation where perhaps you and someone else got off on the wrong foot, that your understandings of what occurred during a particular moment differed so very greatly that the result was two completely different stories? What was the whole truth?